0: This week on The Change Log, Jared is joined by Paul Bigger, the creator of Dark, a new way to build serverless backends. Paul shares all the details about this all-in-one language, editor, and infrastructure, why he decided to make Dark in the first place, his view on programming language design, the advantages Dark has as an integrated solution, and also why it's source-available, but not open source. Big shout out to our partners Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. Linode is our cloud of toys. Check them out at linode.com changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And our feature flags are powered by LaunchDarkly. Check them out at launchdarkly.com. Linode is simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing that developers trust. Linode is our cloud of choice. We trust them, and we think you should build anything you're working on, a fun side project, or that next big infra move at work with Linode. The best part, you can get started on Linode with $100 in free credit. Get all the details at linode.com changelog or text changelog to 474747 and get instant access to that $100 in free credit. Again, linode.com changelog.
1: joined by Paul Bigger, you're a founder of CircleCI and now you're working on Dark, which is a combined language editor and infrastructure to make it easy to build backends. Paul, welcome to The Changelog. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Happy to have you. Well, tell us the story. Start us off from CircleCI
2: to Dark. Yeah, the ideas behind Dark sort of came when I was working at CircleCI. Um, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of seeing the world adapt for, for continuous delivery. Um, and you know, looking at the programming languages we use and how difficult it is to sort of add cloud into them, looking at, at how teams build things and looking at how hard it is to build your own internal tools because you know every every internal tool that, that you build is infrastructure that you now need to support and maintain it, et cetera, et cetera. So all, all these ideas were sort of fermenting my head around, you know, 2013, 14, 15. And you know, then I, I I left Circle in the late 2015, and I was like massively burnt out. You know, it's just mm. like startups are hard, and made lots of mistakes. You know, as a sort of first time founder, where you know that led to more incredible burnout. So I sort of took 18 months off, and then towards the end of that, I started thinking, you know, what what is it that I'm going to do next? A lot of the things that I thought might be cool to do, a lot of you know startups that I thought might be fun to build, that kind of thing. Um, they all had like this this infrastructure component, or you know, if I'm going to build a, a you know small company, a one person company, a two person, five person company, whatever, you know, I, I don't want to like spend all of my time dealing with AWS and that kind of thing. And so all these ideas just kept pointing me back to to this other idea I had, which was dark. And so it, it kind of got to the point where, where I just like couldn't stop thinking about it. And so that's that's what I decided to do next.
1: So you have these three aspects of dark that you say in the tagline, right? A mm-hmm. it's a language. Yeah. It's an editor, and it's infrastructure as well. So, building a language is hard. Making editors is hard. Of uh-huh. course, infrastructure. It's also hard. But even conceptually, like, what's the win mm-hmm. of combining these dis some,
2: usually disconnected aspects of coding? Yeah, right? it's kind of funny. We find it really hard to describe what what Dark is. Yeah. Because as you say, it's you know it's a programming language, it's an editor, it's, it's infrastructure. You know, soon it'll be a package manager as well. There you go. You know, a lot of people have have the why and the why is is what dark is not so the thing that dark is not is it's not setting up kubernetes it's not like setting up serverless it's not ci cd pipelines there's in fact you know a zero second deploy in dark that you know there's no you know waiting for 15 minutes or whatever there's no like with aws there's no I'm just trying to think of all the other things that that we have to do and you know there's no yaml Backup. files ba- <laughs> d- d- databases queues all that sort of thing it's it's all it's right. all just built in and so you don't have to think about like you know oh where am I going to spin up this thing how am I going to get the code from here to here it's all just sort of like handled for you and okay. the way that we're able to do this is by integrating all the things because if you say to someone you know, who's using a standard AWS setup? It's like you know we would like deploys to be zero seconds. They're going to say, well, that's not possible. that makes no sense. You know we, we, we have to do tests. we have to you know, maybe they do staging or, or, or maybe there's a integration tests or there's a QA or just you know there's something in the way to, to sanity check. You actually have to build in all this additional stuff to make sure that the thing actually works when you deploy it. And you can't do that with languages that aren't designed for it and I, I don't just mean languages here, but I mean like the, the language, the editor, the infrastructure, it's all sort of designed for this purpose, and mm-hmm. other languages are, and editors and infrastructure are not designed for this purpose, and so they, right. they don't have these features.
1: So can you tease it apart? I know it's tightly integrated, but like, can you use Dark, the language, without using Dark, the editor, or
2: can you? No, no, absolutely not, no. Okay, it's all the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, and that's the advantage, so to give you you know, a couple of the reasons that people like dark. So one of them is, is this thing that we call deployless it's a an instant deploy of any code that you write and obviously that, that sounds dangerous right We perhaps have memories of, of writing PHP in 2001 you know where it just like didn't work to, to edit it in vim on these on these shared VPSs that, that, that we had at the time. So Dark is, is designed around this, it's like, okay, well, you know, edits have to have atomic units, it has to be impossible to have syntactic, uh, to, to have syntax errors, and that's where the editor comes in. So the, the editor is the thing that enables that, but the editor, you know, in most editors you can have syntax errors, you can type whatever the hell you like. So Dark's editor is a structured editor, which doesn't allow invalid syntax, and, and it significantly reduces the amount of times that you can introduce problems by typing. And so, uh-huh. you know, that's a place where you have an editor, and you have a language, and you have, you know, they, they enable the playlist thing, and, and that just wouldn't be possible without you know having the editor, the infrastructure, and the language being all all part of the same thing. I was gonna say
1: no syntax errors. You obviously never seen me write code because I can find a way. I can find a way. But apparently, uh, the editor just says no. That's just not gonna. What well, you just can't hit the key,
2: or how does it work? Yeah, you know, it isn't text, right? The most programming languages they are text files and then there's a parser that parses it in dark when you type in the editor everything that you type is is a valid part of the program and so you know, you might think oh you know what happens when you know it's sort of easy enough like you know I put in double quotes and and you know that's a string and then I type in the string and it's fine and you you, know, you can't type outside the double quotes or whatever but when you think about like a function call or something like that well what happens if I if I press backspace on the name of a function or something like that, and we have this concept called partials, where while things are invalid, the old behavior remains, so that you get an atomic switch from the old behavior to the new behavior. And then the major thing that we have to enable that 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 sort of change is called well, they're feature flags. So you know, very common things. Mm-hmm. They're specifically integrated into the language to give you a new place to write new code without affecting the old code. So basically, it's just lots of safety rails built into the language itself. Gotcha. So, what is Dark's sweet spot? Is it web apps?
1: Is it CLIs? Is it games? It, what typically would you
2: build with Dark? I think the truth is today that that there is no sweet spot, and this is something that you know I've come to realize over the last year that Dark was not quite ready for anyone, and I think that that is still the the case today. So. Really, the you know kind of people who are using it today are people who are experimenting, or they're building small tools, or, or something where there's you know people often build Slack bots, um, or or they build something that that integrates a couple of services. Mm. Where we intend to get to is is that you will build everything in Dark. Everything can be built 10x easier with these things, but we still lack a lot of things that that you actually need in order to be able to to do it, such as you know things like user management and package managers and that, and that sort of thing being built into the in the way that that you know the the rails ecosystem has device and omniauth and, and all that sort of thing.
1: Right. So you began it 2016 ish. It's 2021. Mm-hmm. It's in private beta. It's a long road and it sounds like you said, you know, it's still somewhat experimental, you're still trying to like flesh things out. Mm-hmm. When you started dark, did you know The long and windy road that was in front of you, or did you think it'd be an easier thing to tackle?
2: I didn't. So we officially started in about 2017. Okay. Late 2017. It's been a little over three years now. And, you know, we expected it to be much, much quicker. But what dark was in the early days, like, you know, has has changed significantly. In the early days, dark was, it was sort of a nodes and, and edges sort of thing where, you know, you dragged things and and you know nodes were 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 functions and, and the edges were like the results of those functions. And we okay. you know were experimenting with lots of different ways to be able to to write code. Mm-hmm. And you know all, all that got all that that got discarded and went to you know things that looked a lot more like what people expect coding to look like. But we managed to keep the advantages of what we were looking for. That deploylessness and I'll talk probably later about about liveness um, or live values, which are the, this other amazing thing that you get from integrating those three things. There's been a couple of like major inflection points. Uh, you know, when, when we got our first user really building something, when we got, uh, first person to build their company on dark, when we built a new editor and suddenly people were, were going from like, I can't use this thing at all to, oh yeah, no, I, I understand how to build in this. And I, I think that the, you know, the next major inflection point is is when there's a package manager and people can, you know, instantly use third-party vendors and, you know, Stripe and Twilio and and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. directly from it. But yeah, it's been a long <laughs> road for sure. It's a platform that this journey will never be done, I suppose. Right. Yeah, I've been
1: thinking about this concept recently because motivation is so perishable, you know. Mm-hmm. And that old Thomas Edison saw, you know, invention is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Mm-hmm. I just thought about like how hard it is to persist and to persevere on an idea over time. Like the moment of conception is amazing. That's mm-hmm. why so many people have domain names that they never use. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they tell we tell our friends that sometimes that is enough to like satisfy the idea. And we never mm-hmm. follow it. Sometimes we go a little further down the road and we hit troubles. And it's just like watching somebody persist through on a vision.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We were just talking with uh the founder of the open source ecology foundation last on the last episode. And I mean, he's got this eight year vision and he's 10 years into it. So like Mm -hmm. an 18 year vision. (laughs) And I wonder with you like, it sounds like these inflection points maybe help, but like how do you renew Mm -hmm. motivation and when it's like days go by, weeks, months, Mm -hmm. years, and you're still toiling away towards towards this end and does it sound like maybe you celebrate some small wins along the way or what
2: well I, I think the main thing is is that i take the motivation from users so we have about you know 7000 people who have tried dark and it's it's a small community that that have sort of stuck around on on our slack you know there's like you know 40 50 people whose names i know you know that there's you know a couple of people i talk to to regularly and you know there's new people coming in all the time, and they have problems and you know th- things that they can't get working or or ideas that they have and those are the things that that sort of like lead to motivating and and often there's this sort of idea in in software development that that you should do the most important thing you should always be doing the most important thing. What I've been finding over the last few months in particular has been that you know you should do the most motivating thing instead, so you know, I have a bunch of I have a bunch of post-it notes on my desk and you know it says, uh, you know, do work that's exciting, uh, as opposed mm-hmm. to like necessarily doing work that that's the most important thing. When a user tells me, Oh, I really need this fix, and I'm like, that's a priority twelve bug that will never get done. You know, sometimes I'll just fix it right there because, you know, it brings that sort of you know, the the endorphins of of doing a thing yeah. for another person, even if it's not the most important thing. I like that. In order to stay motivated,
1: especially on a project like this do things that are that excite you because that those by definition are motivating or you already are motivated right like yeah. work on what you're motivated about and like it's almost like intelligent procrastination mm-hmm. you know it's like picking the right things is, in order not to burn out because you've been through the burnout yeah. before
2: are you familiar with that uh, structured procrastination manifesto no i haven't heard of this tell me about it so it's it's a thing written by by some college professor, and I you know, I'll look it up so you can put it in the show notes. thank you The idea is basically that you know whenever you have a really important thing, everything else looks a lot more exciting um so you use that that most important thing to focus on things that you would not have done if they themselves were the most important thing so like you have a deadline coming up that's an excellent time to like grade student papers or or, or <laughs> whatever else is, is Gotcha. Yeah. that's a thing that, that 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 I have used you know, like since I was in grad school to, to actually get things done. It's like, uh, I don't feel like that, but there's 12 other things that actually you know have value. And if I ignore the value and just sort of look at the excitement, I can probably get through them.
0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at LaunchDarkly. Feature management for the modern enterprise, power testing in production at any scale. Here's how it works. LaunchDarkly enables development teams and operation teams to deploy code at any time, even if a feature isn't ready to be released to users. Wrapping code with feature flags gives you the safety to test new features and infrastructure in your production environments without impacting the wrong end users. When you're ready to release more widely, update the flag status, and the changes are made instantaneously by the real-time streaming architecture. Eliminate risk, deliver value, get started for free today at LaunchDarkly.com. Again, LaunchDarkly.com.
1: So, language design is something that always has fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And here you are designing a language. I like the way you said it. it's like more about what it's not mm-hmm. than what it is. And I feel like programmers, over time, as we experience different languages, we know what we don't want, mm-hmm. right? And we know we don't want to handle and deal with, such as deployments and backups, mm-hmm. perhaps, and all these things. But it has to have some paradigms for itself. So like, how would you describe Dark? Is it like an FP thing? Is it object-oriented? Like mm-hmm. How does the typing work? Give us the lay of the land, what design choices you made with Dark, the language.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think the first thing I'll say is, is that Dark is incomplete. And so lots of what I'm about to describe are, are not necessarily fully there. You know, Often okay. there's some of it, but not all of it. So I'll describe the aspirational version. But it, it's, it's an ML. So, the specific subset of functioning languages that includes Elm, OCaml, F sharp, technically not Haskell, but like actually is, is similar enough. Okay. And uh, I, I guess Scala you know, has, has some influences from that as well. If you're familiar with Elm, it's, it's sort of Elm. Okay. And the reason that, that we chose that is you know, one, the liveness feature that I alluded to earlier, the, the idea that you can always see a value uh, for the code that you're editing. Works really well in immutable programming languages. So languages where the values are not updatable in the way that they are in object-oriented languages, and, and this is a common feature in functional programming languages. And you know, people have taken it other places as well. So like, there's a lot of frameworks for JavaScript that are immutable, for example, and you know, right. React and functional reactive programming. You know, all sort of related to that world as well. So. That was one reason to do it because it fits in well with with this liveness feature that we wanted, but the the other reason to do it is that just immutability helps you think uh, about programs, because things never happen over there. You know they always have to happen in a place that's very obvious that it's happening. So that kind of is the major thing that I love about dark, and in every language that I've really used over the last decade, you know I use closure a lot at, at Circle CI, um, mm-hmm. dark is written in OCaml, it was written in in Elm, it's now being rewritten in F sharp. But all of those are are immutable functional languages. And it's really, you know, I I find it just the easiest way to to actually write programs. Go ahead and unpack that live
1: feature for Mm -hmm. everyone. Because I think I'm picturing it, but I'm surely you can describe it
2: with words better than I can picture how it works in my head. So in your editor, you've got this line that says, you know, let my variable equal name. All right. When your cursor is over the word name you know, in, in the text, mm-hmm. at the left of the text it shows you the string Paul. Because that was the request that was made a couple of minutes ago. We call them traces. When a request was made a trace was recorded and every value throughout the program is either recalculated or is stored. And so, whenever you put your cursor over something, we show you the actual value that, that was there recently. So, if you ever you know open a bit of code that you haven't looked at uh, in quite some time, or that you know that's that someone else wrote, or you, you're unfamiliar with, and you you have no idea how it works, you, you know, it's it's adding a couple of things, it's it's concatenating them, it's doing some substrings. It's like why is it doing this? And it's like, well, you know, you, you put your cursor in it, you see a value. It's like, oh, I see exactly what they're doing. This only works on strings that has hyphens and it's removing the you know the the first four characters of it because that's what exists before the hyphen. It's like in all these traces I can see this. You know, th- that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. you can think of it as as a debugger that where you never have to actually turn on a debugger, or you can think of it as printf debugging, where you never have to type a print, you know, add in the printf. It's just anytime at any point that you want to see a historical value, a current value, a test value, what whatever, you can see it. Anywhere in the program with no instrumentation. Mm. So does that allow a
1: similar to, I think that Redux made it popular kind of the rewind debugging, where you can step through different states, or is it always just like the current? You said you know at any time. How do you how do you manipulate that time?
2: Well, there, there because it's immutable, uh, there isn't really a time component. So. In Redux and, and in the Redux debugger, really what they're what they're showing you is you know the old state and the new state. Yeah, they're modifying the state. Yeah, those are like actually independent values. You know, it's actually a list of states, and it's just showing you you know where they've right. been historically because the new state never changed the old state. there, those are different values, and that that's the immutability of Redux. And that that's you know it's exactly the same thing in Dark. If you've got you know, if you've got an old value and you update it, right. I just did air quotes which you can see in the zoom, <laughs> but your listeners won't be able to hear. Yeah, you had to verbalize your air quotes around yeah. here, please. Yeah. So yeah, if you have an old value and a new value and, 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 and you know there's an update in between, you know, you'll be able to see the value of the old value, you'll be able to see the value of the new value, you'll be able to see some intermediate values as well. So yeah, very similar to to, to the Redux thing. Cool. Yeah. If, if you have used you know Redux's debuggers and that sort of thing, and you understand why they are awesome, then you will understand why Dark is awesome. Okay. Very well said.
1: One thing I caught on to there is you mentioned that it's had a few rewrites along the way Elm, OCaml, and now F sharp.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Can you share some of the insights into why the language switches over time?
2: Yeah. So in the early days, we wrote it in technologies that. You know, made sense at the time. So for the front end, you know, it made sense to write in Elm because I was familiar with Elm, and also because a lot of what we were doing in Dark was we were building our own thing. We weren't, you know, building a SaaS app. So you know, reusing a lot of, of existing ecosystems didn't, you know, what wasn't as valuable as it was to to have the sort of like Elm-like language. And after a couple of years, Elm made made a couple of changes. They removed some of the things we were using, and we sort of realized you know, that this is a little bit of a dead end. And I, I wrote about that at the time. And I so said I wrote I wrote a compiler to switch from Elm to what was then called BuckleScript, which is now called ReScript.
1: Oh wow! Talk about working on what's exciting. You must have been like, I'm going to write a compiler today. Oh yeah.
2: I mean, Ian Connolly, who worked with Dark. You sort of made this joke that, you know, not the the answer to everything is not another compiler, but but honestly for me there, there there's a bunch well, of In this case it was different. We've written so many <laughs> so many compilers in like, There you uh, go, stick to what you're good at. Yeah, you know, w- w- one or two compilers a year, basically. <laughs> and that's actually completely true. I just wrote a uh, <laughs> That's actually completely true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. Re- well, switching from Elm to Rescript or
1: BuckleScript, which I've never heard of either of these things, so please do tell. Have you heard of ReasonML? ML? Yes, I have heard of Reason. ML. Okay, so th-
2: those are all the same thing. Oh, okay, and th- they have a branding problem over there. Uh, <laughs> okay. But but they've attempted to solve the branding problem by calling it Rescript. But somehow, they, Reason ML remains a new thing that is not the same thing as it was. It's very confusing. Okay, it's all Rescript now. So that was the front end, and then the back end was originally written in, in OCaml, and OCaml. It's a really wonderful language with a lot of like a lot of bad things in there that, that people just sort of ignore and you know there's an entire like object oriented thing in there that people just like don't talk about don't use that really. uh, yeah oh, um, camel the good parts yeah yeah for sure and we, we've been using our camel for a couple of years, and there's very good reasons for using OCaml at the start it's um you know one is is that it's super performance very very high performance um, another is that it's it's immutable um, so you know instead of Having to re or having to write all these immutable libraries and so on, we just use the the built-in stuff, you know, directly in in the dark implementation. But you know the ecosystem isn't very large, and we often struggled with you know looking for encryption libraries or using like uh, you know vendor uh, vendor SDKs. You know they they just didn't exist in OCaml. So a couple of months ago, you know sort of like weighing up, you know what, what, what should I be doing next? What, you know where is the focus? And you know, recognizing that the states that Dark is at is not one where we have a lot of resources, and so it made a bit of sense at the time to actually you know make deep technical investments like that, like doing a rewrite. I thought we were going to switch to Rust. I was, I was sure. We've, we've been talking for years about the Rust rewrite. The
1: tractor beam is
2: strong. Oh yeah, yeah. So I did, and and you know, these, I, I wrote a, a series of blog posts on it that were you know, big on Hacker News for a couple of days. And you know, I experimented with Rust and like did not like it. This, this does not map to how my brain well, works. How to go to the front page of Hacker yeah, News? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so we we, we didn't didn't pick Rust. And not not because anything is wrong with Rust. Rust is, is very good for for what it is good for, and it turns out that Dark is not in that sweet spot. You know what's an amazing truth that we often ignore is like not every
1: language is for every person. Right, right, yeah, you know? exactly.
2: I mean, you, you were asking me earlier what, what what Dark is good for, and I said, oh, we want people to use Dark for everything. But like, you know, you're, you're never going to use Dark for embedded systems. You're never going to use it for like you know the high performance you know, writing a decompressor or something like that. You know. For everything means in the in the niche general of purpose. general purpose cloud backend sort of things. Yeah, oh. fair enough. And then yeah, eventually settled on, on F Sharp. So we're about two months into the F Sharp rewrite, and most of it is done. All the difficult questions have been answered. There's just a lot of fleshing out to be done. Did you also write about that choice? I did write about why why okay. and I mean short version is F Sharp is OCaml backed by .NET. Okay, so like huge ecosystem. And the ability to reuse C sharp things and high quality tooling by Microsoft and so on. But it's the yeah, same. Yeah, I mean if
1: you're if the drawbacks for you with OCaml was the ecosystem and yeah. F sharp solves that problem, plus it is a lot like OCaml, then it sounds like a win. I mean it's
2: not even a lot like OCaml you know, these languages are, you know, are twins. They are pretty yeah. much the same thing.
1: Very cool. Well, we'll definitely link up to those deep dives, as I'm sure people who are interested in language choice, as we all are at certain times yeah. in our career, like when we're deciding to switch to a language, uh, would love to hear you know the deep dive on your insights there. Mm-hmm. But keeping the focus on dark lang yeah. and uh, not so much other langs, I think the one seminal moment for many languages is when they're written in themselves. Mm-hmm. And it seems like dark isn't quite there yet. Is that a thing that you want to do eventually, dark written in dark? Or do you think it actually doesn't make a fit for itself?
2: You know, I've I've thought about that over time. What would it mean for, for Dark to be written in Dark? And you know, there's the, the sort of an obvious one of of the bootstrapping, where where you know, in, in another language, it might be you know, the, the compiler can finally compile the compiler, and 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 you can stop right. using the other compiler. And you know, thought about you know, okay, so for Dark, that would be there's one service and it's hosting this other service, and that actually doesn't make that much sense for Dark. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like you know introduces risk and that kind of thing and you know dark is, is fundamentally a, it's a hosted platform and so you know introducing right. that sort of infrastructure risk d- doesn't make that sense. What we're doing instead, we, we talked a lot about dark and dark and we, we do it in quite a lot of places. So the, the user flow is in dark any emails that are sent out are in dark. A lot of the collaboration stuff is written in dark. Some of the tracing is written in dark. I'm about to rewrite some of our static asset stuff in dark. Mm. So anything that's like the core language itself and the core of the system is is in dark. And you know, if this breaks, we would not be able to recreate it. Is not written in dark. Mm. Sorry, I think I said this backwards. I think I said the core is written in dark. It means the core is written in not right. not dark. My brain parsed it the correct
1: way. So okay, okay, I'm with, I'm with you. I think that's wise because any language or ecosystem that wants to be general purpose and relied upon by many people. Mm -hmm. It has to live in the real world, I think, at a certain point somewhat early on in its life Mm -hmm. so that it's rooted in reality because we can, you know, tend towards what the maybe more critical than myself would call, you know, architecture astronauts. Mm -hmm. This idea of just like, there's a lot of languages that have an, a purism and an idealism, which is beautiful, mm-hmm. but they're not going to be general purpose because the real world is corner cases and yucky and mm-hmm. like things need to work. And I think having the team working on dark, using dark for its purpose, which is like these kinds of projects, maybe not for, it's not written to write languages, mm-hmm. but it's written to do these things. And you're actually using it for those things, mm-hmm. I think gives you an insight, which you may otherwise lack.
2: Yeah, and I remember at the start, you know, before before Dark was really available, a lot of the people who were interested in Dark were were the people who were like really into programming languages, mm-hmm. and you know, so I fielded this question of, can you you know compile Dark? Can you write Dark in itself? Why aren't you writing Dark in itself? And you, you know, like there's it was almost dogma. Yeah. But like fundamentally, you know, we're, we're you know languages are, are built for a purpose, and and the thing that our language is doing is not building programming languages. Right. Oh. So, a complete sidebar, but I'm curious. Mm-hmm. How did you
1: learn to write programming languages and compilers and these low level things? Like, where did you
2: acquire that skill? Third and fourth year compiler class in college. Okay. Like, straight up university. Straight up. Yeah. I went to Trinity College, Dublin, and I did an undergrad in computer science, and then I did a PhD in compilers. Okay. So. I kind of joke about this because I hate parsing I, I think parsing is like the worst thing so the first thing that you <laughs> that you do when anyone writes a writes a language write a parser so I, yeah. I rarely write new languages or, or anything like that because I hate parsing <laughs> so now you got me wondering
1: and I'm not gonna ask this maybe we'll bring you on the founders talk and Adam can talk to you about your circle CI days but like mm-hmm. what how does a guy who's uh, into compilers and languages and you know studies these things ends up you know founding a CI company but for a, for a different day. Let's focus on dark for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, another aspect of the language, but I guess the integrated aspect of the language, is that it has built-in support for things that normally you go to a community for, background workers, mm-hmm. scheduled jobs. Mm-hmm. There's data storage and stuff like that. Yep. Are these like language-level primitives? Or are they part of some sort of dark standard library?
2: Is there such a thing? How does that work? They are fully integrated. I'm not really sure what they are exactly, Certainly, databases are language primitives. The important thing is that what you store in a database is actual dark data, right? So mm-hmm. the the there is no ORM, there's no conversion layer between the runtime representation and you know like conversion into SQL or Postgres types or you know something along those lines. You know the
1: now you have me interested because one of the, the bane's of my existence is like marshaling and unmarshaling data. Yeah, yeah. In between a data store and my language I'm writing it in. I just want it to be there when I come back. You yep. know? like I just want to have this, I just want to keep it, and I just want to know it's going to be there safe. Yep. And I actually couldn't be bothered with the details of the ins and outs of the database. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that's very attractive to me as a
2: developer. Yeah, I mean, it was a goal that it would be fully integrated. Um, into the language, mm. or at least into the dark system, or, or platform, whatever we call that. And so, yeah. it, you know, it had to be that these values could go straight into it. But also, you know, the, the way that you queried things in Dark is by writing Dark code. You know, you, you don't write SQL. You know, you write something like a, a query function where, where where you pass into a lambda, and then the lambda is actually compiled into Dark. That was last year's compiler project.
1: So, what if you do want to bring your own things to Dark? I mean. It sounds like it's probably still too early on. Just I mean,
2: no, it's it's not. No. no.
1: Not going to like you can't use Postgres with Dark.
2: You can't use Postgres with Dark. I mean, you know, in the future someone might write a Postgres adapter, um, driver whatever.
1: Yeah, so like all you would need is some sort of low-level networking
2: yeah, and thing
1: and then you could just like write a network adapter.
2: Yeah, and and you know, having, you know, direct TCP or something at is something that will come. But the goal of Dark is not to let you use whatever you're using today. The goal of Dark is let's assume that that's all legacy tech and we want to get rid of a ton today unconstrained by legacy. You know, is there a day in the future where enterprises will, you know, use the Dark consultants to hook up their redshift to Dark to be able to do queries in it. Yeah, maybe, you know. But it, you know, it's, it's never going to be like the core of, of what dark is about and you know bringing your own stuff to it. It's always going to be about the, this idea of we can build stuff faster if we have it fully integrated in our system.
0: this episode of the change log is brought to you by render render is a unified platform to build and run all your apps and websites with free SSL a global CDN private networks and auto deploys from Git. They handle everything from simple static sites to complex applications with dozens of microservices. If you're a developer or a founder that's frustrated with AWS's complexity or Heroku's high costs, you owe it to yourself to use the $100 in free credits they're giving our listeners to give Render a try. Render is built for modern applications and offers everything you need out of the box. One-click scaling, zero downtime deploys, built-in SSL, private networking, managed database Secrets and Configuration Management Persistent Block Storage And Infrastructure as Code Heroku customers running production and staging workloads Typically see cost reductions of over 50% after switching to Render Here's the best part We work closely with the team at Render to ensure you have zero risk By giving you $100 in free credits Plus, they're going to assign a world-class engineer to your account To offer guidance and answer any questions you have When you're ready to transition your infrastructure They'll be there to help you with that too Automate your cloud hosting with Render at render.com changelog get $100 in free credits to try the render platform plus a world-class engineer assigned to your account to guide you along the way to send an email to our special email changelog at render.com to get access to those free credits all that begins at render.com changelog
1: But one thing I haven't mentioned yet is that I have you on today, Paul, because a listener requested that we do this show. Oh, cool. Yeah. So shout out to John G. stodel And he requested that we do a show on Darkling and your open source strategy. Well, thank you so much, John. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We love listener requests because then we know we're doing a show that at least one person absolutely <laughs> wants to hear. You know, yeah. someone's going to be happy. It's going to be a non-zero mm-hmm. happy listener count. Uh, and one thing that John said, he says you have an interesting take on uh, an SPA slash PWA with functions as a backend, and then you also have a special take on open source, and he <laughs> in the air quotes. Yeah, air quotes. Because it's source-available licensing. Yeah, but not open source. So that mm-hmm. kind of opens us up into Darklang's ecosystem. There's a yep. business around it. It's not open source, but you can
2: view the source code. Yep. Talk to us about that whole situation. Yeah, so... Where to start with it? I hate fake open source. I'm I'm really into business models. I love thinking about business models. And the worst business models are are the open source business models. And we're a couple of days after AWS just like forked. Yes. Elastic
1: relicense. That's right, that's right. Search, And then AWS forked. Right. The previously yes. So
2: it's it's a big conversation piece. There's all these companies that that are like really struggling with the fact that they built open source businesses. And for a lot of things, especially for like databases, you know, you kind of have to be open source. It, it doesn't make sense to be an Elasticsearch is a database, really. Mm-hmm. But you kind of have to be because like people want to you know, want to run their own data and, and that sort of thing. And when you think about like what is dark, what is the purpose of dark? And the purpose of dark is that you don't have to do anything. And so, you know, the first thing that you do with an, an open source thing is is that you install it. You you know you find a system, you or maybe you put it on yeah. your your first computer. And that that's not what dark is, right? That that's that's not what we're here for. You know, we're kind of in this world where you want a business model that that matches to how you want people to use the system. And so for us, open source was was not it. It, it is not a thing that that made direct sense because we, we have that AWS problem, you know? If Dark manages to succeed, do we want to just be run by AWS? No. But also, like we, you know, we've been talking for forty-five minutes now about this, this sort of like integrated ecosystem, and mm-hmm. part of that integrated ecosystem is yeah, we're the package manager, we're the hosting. It doesn't make sense to have another instance of Dark over there. There's a bunch of things I'm, I'm planning to build where, you know the. I wouldn't call it social features but something along the lines of you want to make a bug report, you know, to the package manager maintainer whatever. That's a thing that you do in Dark and you you can take, you know, your request and upload that or, you know, send or you know something along those lines. It hasn't been designed yet.
0: Mm. But like all things
2: that that are part of like the singular ecosystem. And so it doesn't make sense for someone else to have another installation of Dark or having their own installation of Dark. And when we look at people asking us for for open source there's a couple of things that they want so there's you know some people are are into open source for for status right you know, they yeah. they want to build their their reputation to be able order to do consulting or or something along those lines so that's you know that, that that's a thing that we wanted to enable people want to install it themselves to have on prem and that's not a thing we wanted to enable and you know we recognize that 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 there are people who you know, cannot use cloud things, and you know that that's okay. And you know, not 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 every service is for for every person. Mm-hmm. Then there's people who are worried about business continuity. You know, what happens if if Dark shuts down? And so that that is a thing that that we wanted to, to take care of. And then there's people who just like you know want to like be able to extend their programs, be able you know their users of Dark, and they want to be able to like make it better. Right. And so you know. There's of those four things, three of them we wanted to enable. So there's a couple of things that we did. So one is we've not done this yet, but intend to. Um,
1: It's on the roadmap. Yeah, it's it's sort of like an an
2: open source guarantee where if Dark shuts down, we'll we'll open source it. And you know that that's for the business continuity side of things. We have not actually done the legal side of that. So what you have today is well, it's source available. You know, if there's no business left, no one is going to sue you for installing your own thing. But we should do better than that. With the source available, you get the you know, the people who are looking for the people who who are trying to build up a reputation for being you know, experts in Dark. You know can you know, can contribute to the community there. The people who who want to extend the ecosystem and who are you know unable to to do a certain thing in Dark, and so they want to make it so that they're able to do a thing in Dark. That is really what we were looking for. And you cannot run your company on this thing or on your own instance of this. So we got. A lawyer called Heather Meeker, who's who's like a, a famous open source lawyer, and she wrote the Polyform licenses and a bunch of other things. So we, we we got her to write a license for us, and the license basically says, "This is source available. It is not open source, and you can use this for the sole purpose of developing and contributing back to Dark." And then we have a we have a CLA as well for contributions.
1: I like how clear you are about that and straightforward. And you said you hate fake open source, and you're not trying to be open source. Your source available. You say mm. it right there up front. I think that's admirable. <laughs> the butt is coming. Well, I mean, the butt is not a big. It's not a big butt. Yeah. Do you think that's going to hamper
2: it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because there's so many people that just see that and they're like, "I'm out." Yeah. You know. I think that that the problem with having uh, nuanced opinions about anything is that looking for some middle ground is is that a lot of people just aren't interested in, in the middle ground. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's bad. You know, I I think like having a you know, an open source first philosophy is isn't a bad thing, but you know, people who build stuff in the cloud are not using you know open source the whole way down. They're relying on AWS, you know, none of which is open source. Um, even you know, AWS's Elasticsearch, you know, the, the the fork of it, there there's AWS proprietary stuff, you know, all over that. Mm-hmm. The people who are looking to build the sort of thing that we want you to build on Dark. I think for the most part are going to be like very familiar with this idea that actually they don't you know have a license to everything to you know, top to bottom
1: fair enough i think in light of that languages have communities yeah. right languages are not if you think of a language that's owned by a single person or mm-hmm. a single entity even microsoft has released the death grip on a lot of their proprietary yeah, that's right software and language sharp is, is open source. Right. Of Apple famously open source Swift mm-hmm. and they said they were gonna do it the entire time, they just didn't do it right away. I think that's probably true, or they wanted to do it the entire time. Mm-hmm. At least the can't remember the language designer's name offhand, but I know the core team definitely wanted Swift to be open source. That is mm-hmm. Apple knew they needed to open source it. I'm now this is my thoughts mm-hmm. because they wanted mass adoption. Mm-hmm. In education and like all these places on the server side, where it wasn't inside of Xcode. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome the community problem? Because you have yeah. some people hanging out, you got people extending, but you know, do you have like a strategy, or are you just hoping it works out? Just curious, your thoughts on since you are just source available, how do you get the real? I don't want to call them zealots, but like the not offici- the fans, like the dark people.
2: Yeah. So the thing that we recognized up front is that. We want the dark fans, and we don't necessarily want the open source fans. So, you know, if dark to you is like a cool thing that I can hack on, eh, it's not really that interesting because you're going to hack on the wrong things. Yeah, you know, and we 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 get a lot of we get a lot of feature requests from people on their first day, um, where you know they would not make the same feature request a month later. You know, once they actually understand the mm. you know, stuff a lot better. Um, so. The the purpose of of going the source available thing was for people within the community to to contribute back um, and to be able to contribute back to solve their own problems and you know it's sort of like a multifaceted approach because there's there's the dark code base but there's also going to be a package manager that that people can contribute to and that that's also going to be in a non open source license that that has a lot of the same source available features for a bunch of reasons we don't actually want You know anyone who can't get past the zealotry side of things. I I don't mean to like zealot sounds so negative, and I think that there's so many positive things about open source, but there's so many negative things about open source. People are talking about the licensing thing, but there's also like you know a bit of a toxic community that 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 has existed in open source for a while. That you know people are you talk about a a little bit at the edges. There's there's that. you know, but you can see on on certain GitHub issues where people are demanding things from maintainers and et cetera, et cetera. And so we're a little bit distancing ourselves from that and being like, this is a service, and the people in the community abide by a code of conduct, and you, know, you got to be, you know, amongst other things, you got to be nice and inclusive. And and you know, if you're in the community, you know, we're going to have that conversation. You can participate in building Dark and extending it in ways that you want, but. You know, we, we kind of want to be a little bit further away from mm. the things that are happening in open source.
1: What's interesting is that your initial audience, I'm just thinking of the diagram between mm-hmm. like language nerds, and I say that mm-hmm. in the kindest way, and I consider myself somewhat one of them, and then like open source nerds, mm-hmm. and then like the cross section of those two. And I feel like they're like 80% overlap. Well, our target is not language nerds. Oh, I know. I'm just saying. Your initial, like, you build your community out yeah. of your your early adopters, right? And you said that the people that are are coming on early are like, "Hey, here's a cool new language. I'm interested in this."
2: There were, but mo- most of our community now is people who build web stuff. Gotcha. The language nerds aren't like they don't use Dark. They're they're interested in Dark in sort of an abstract sense, um, right? Like they're watching you build it, maybe. Yeah, but like the you know the people who use Dark are are people who like. Build SaaS and you know web backends and web frontends and don't mm-hmm. don't build backends. Use Dark for that. I'm not going to say that there hasn't been people who've dropped out of contributing because it isn't fully open source. I think that's fine. You know, everyone makes the trade offs according to their values, and
1: mm-hmm.
2: we want to have a, a sustainable ecosystem. And you know, a sustainable thing is is focusing on on what Dark is and and focusing on like the long term where you know where the value of dark gets you know, reinvested into into this ecosystem. So
1: yeah, well, like I said, I I applaud you for taking your claim. I'm with you. The only thing that I I like open source. Mm-hmm. I'm also okay with proprietary, and I just want the lines to be drawn and clear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I do not like is when you have people who are trying to ride the coattails of open source mm-hmm. and benefit from the great goodwill that the term and the you know the community has because mm-hmm. there is some toxicity but there's just a lot of value there there's tons of marketing value just be to call yourself that mm-hmm. without actually being that so, for sure um i think we're on the same page there let's talk about what it feels like then let's put me in your core user demographic i'm building my startup on dark mm-hmm. and i have a SaaS startup that i yep. build what should i expect in terms of business model like how much mm-hmm. am i going to pay you how does it scale I have no problem paying for things that are bring me value. Where I have a problem is usually when their model doesn't scale alongside the way that I use it. For example, yeah. GitHub used to famously have this mismatch with agencies where I was a freelancer mm-hmm. and I would like add new projects all the time mm-hmm. because that's the way that I would move on from Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. But they would charge based on project count mm-hmm. and it's like I'm still just a one-person company. It's not scaling with my company. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious like I know you're not there yet. You're in private beta, but you love thinking about business models. Surely yeah, yeah. you have some sort of a game plan. Like, what does Dark the business
2: model look like for its users down the road? Yes, yeah, so I mean the belief that I have about developer tools is, is that people used to not pay for developer tools. This was a truism up until about like 2015 or so, and before that, those of us who who monetized developer tools, such as Circle CI, did it by reselling infrastructure. And we, you know, if you think of AWS as a as a developer tool, you know, it, it's actually we're selling you computers. Uh, and we're, you know you're paying for the computers, and Circle CI is, is the same. You know you're paying for the computer, and that makes sense to a certain extent in Dark as well. You know you'll pay for the infrastructure that you use. We have described Dark, and, and Dark isn't there, but like conceptually, Dark is an infrastructure compiler. It's it's a thing which takes your you know the code that you write and like figures out how to run it, and you know we will charge you yeah you know, a reasonable upsell on on the actual cloud costs of, of, of the thing there. However, a thing that I've been thinking about recently is that the vast, vast majority of our users today, and you know, for the next few years, are people who are not using it very much. And they're not using it an amount that really costs that much money. Mm-hmm. So if you think about a, you know, a typical SaaS, uh, a typical SaaS is a workflow engine that has few users and not a lot of data. And it's not Twitter, it's, it's, it's not Snapchat. And so, you know, if if you're charging people, you know, based on the costs, you know, there's not a lot of mm-hmm. money for the size of businesses that Dark is going to be able to support in the next few years. So, um, I think that that long term, that that is a good business model. And short term, I think we're going to need something else. And the thing that I'm thinking is something like, you know, the the per user thing for companies, because if you're if you're spending ten grand a month on an engineer, you're not going to balk at like. You know, twenty-five dollars a month to to make that engineer three times as productive,
0: but right. we have to
2: actually have that productivity. You know, we, we have to have like people actually using it, and we have to have like there will always be a freemium component because you know, you know if there isn't an open source component to it, and yeah, we need people to be able to get in. You got to be able to try before you buy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, extent,
1: yeah. Right. You can't just be like, hey, by the way, we're gonna switch all or we're gonna start or switch on this new language we never used, yeah, <laughs> on a new editor we never used, exactly. on an infrastructure we never tested. Yeah, let's well, You know. Or put my credit card in
2: I think that most people who like try dark will end up at a you know free forever sort of thing and you know they won't be using enough traffic to hit costs they will be writing in, in public and in the open and you know, packages and that sort of thing and that will be free for the amount mm-hmm. that they're using and then you know at some point corporations are going to pay something and you know you said you don't mind paying for tools you know, most companies have no problem at all paying for tools, and actually prefer yeah. prefer to pay for tools, so that that will definitely be um, where the pricing goes. I remember James Lindenbaum, who's the who's the Heroku founder, has this concept of like, don't put anything that's developer facing behind a paywall. So you can put the business facing things behind a paywall, but not the developer facing things. And that's an approach that I really like, and that I intend to stick to. Mm, I like that idea.
1: So, what does success look like for Dark? Like, if you if you tra- teleport yourself into the mm-hmm. indefinite future, and like, I did it. Mm-hmm. Dark wins, or Dark is successful. What does that future look like?
2: That's kind of interesting because you know, sort of at an inflection point now. We haven't mentioned it yet um, on on this show, but there was a layoff in July, and, and Dark is just me right now. And so I'm I'm having a think about like what is what is the future of Dark? What, yeah. you know, what is the what is the future of this company? And you know, obviously, the the original thing that we sold to investors like this is going to be a billion dollar company. You know, it's going to be amazing. All cloud will be will be built in Dark um and you know when you combine you know the you know the fact that it's been 3 years and we're not yet a product market fit with you know sort of world that we live in these days a lot of what i'm thinking is like maybe the billion dollar business is not the most interesting or valuable thing here um and the raising the huge round to do the next thing it's like yeah uh, so I think I think I don't know what the future looks like. I think I need to, to sort out my own head for for where mm-hmm. I want the future to be. Um, but you know something that that uh, I still love the idea, or the main thing that I love is like you know what you can do with dark, and whether dark is going to be a thing where you build you know apps for you know tens of thousands of people or for tens of millions of people. I think is is. You know, the, the, those are definite choices to be made, but yeah, you know, we will definitely be be progressing towards this like you know hosted system where you can build you know small to medium apps at the very least. I have to think about whether I want to support more than that.
1: <laughs> there you go. Well, I appreciate the the honesty around the, the size of the team and all that. Yeah. I didn't realize it was just down to you, but hey, the pandemic uh, hit a lot of us in different ways. Yeah. And like you said, we are living in, in difficult times. So happy to see it continue with you. Do you have like a, I know there's a public roadmap, but do you like you said, you have some thinking to do, but do you have like a, I'm going to work on it for this long? Or like I said, the vision or how long are you in the game with Dark?
2: My thinking is: is I might be in it forever. I'm not 100 sure. Yeah. Because startups, you tend to be in, like, you know, I I put in, you know, everything I have for four years or ten years or whatever, right? right? And then you like burn out and you know have a midlife You've already crisis. Played that game. I've played that game. Yeah. And 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 that game went well. And so now I'm in sort of the post game. Yeah. And dark is is my you know to a certain extent my post game. Yeah. So you know dark is a you know it's a code base I know very well. I I love coding. There's a lot of, you know, there's something in me that's like, you know, I can build dark forever and that would be wonderful.
1: Yeah.
2: And, you know, there's, there's another part of me that's like, build big startup success, <laughs> etc. And those two are a little bit in conflict, right? You know, it's, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. The, the devil on each shoulder. And, that, and that, you know, that, that's why I was saying earlier, I don't know, don't know which one I'm going to go. Right. Which devil is going to win? Well, let me just sit on one of your shoulders and just
1: reiterate what you said to me is like work on what's most exciting to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's where you are. You're in a good spot. You yeah. can do that. You can afford to do that. So yeah. if you focus on that versus like having to decide, like go big or go home, mm-hmm. it's like, well, wake up each day, work on what's exciting. And that will be at least exciting, yeah. right? At the very least
2: enjoyable. Yeah, you know, the situation that we're in we're, uh, as a company, the company's separate from the product or the code mm-hmm. you know we we haven't got to product market fit yet. We have a million in the bank uh we spent about four million to get here, and we basically have to get to product market fit on that million uh, and we're spending nothing at the moment it's you know it'll it'll last a very long time so then you know the, the, there's a question of like what are we going to do you know what 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 is the best place to get To or the best way to get to a place where there is optionality, where we can start to think about like, you know, when we get to product market fit, does Dark start to take off? You know, are we excited by that takeoff? You know, then that kind of points in one direction. Um, On the other hand, you know, it's possible that when we get to product market fit, Dark will still be a thing for you know small people to build things with a small team, and and you know that that'll be another reality that that we have to deal with. And when we have that information, uh, I think it'll be clearer. you know that sort of information you know, about what options you have tends to lend a lot of influence to the option that you take. Right.
1: Well, for the tinkerers out there, the experimental folk, the ones who do not like to marshal and unmarshal data <laughs> databases, <laughs> yeah. want to try out Dark. It looks like it's in private beta at the moment. Is that a? It's in it's in a, public beta at the moment. It's in public beta yeah. now. Okay, so you can just go sign up. You can up. just go to
2: the website darklang.com,
1: sign up, try it out. Give it a shot, hop in the it looks like you have a community that you can hop into, ask questions, source available. So you can do your habitual GitHub complaining slash requesting of things yeah. like you would with an open source project.
2: There are GitHub issues and you know, pull requests accepted. There
1: you go. Paul, anything else I didn't ask you or you just been waiting for to say this or ask that before we it a show?
2: Nothing comes to mind. Okay.
1: Thanks again to John for requesting this episode. Yeah, thank, thank you, you, John. This
2: is w- yeah. wonderful.
1: This was lots of fun. I'm fascinated. I would love to see you succeed, and we'll definitely be keeping our eye on Dark. And we encourage all the listeners to go out there, give it a look. It has a lot of interesting properties and something, at the very least, you want to try out and see if you like having a fully integrated solution to coding up things. So, Paul, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Jared. We'll talk to everybody next time.
0: It was so cool to finally get paul bigger on a full-length episode you may have heard paul in previous ads we've done for roll bar love those ads love roll bar and that was fun but a full-length episode with paul even better if you haven't heard yet we have a membership it's called changelog plus plus because hey why not increment things it is better as they say You can subscribe at changelog.com slash plus plus. Get closer to the metal, make the ads disappear, and, of course, support all of our podcasts. Again, changelog.com slash plus plus. And, of course, huge thanks to our partners Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our awesome beats. And of course, thanks to you for listening. We appreciate your attention. We appreciate you listening. And one more step you could take is to join the community. Changelaw.com slash community is free to join. Come hang with us in Slack. Call this place your home. Changelaw.com slash community. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week.